Welcome to the July 13th episode of the Enjoying the Bible podcast. I'm Matt Ellis, and I'm the pastor of the First Baptist Church in Polk City, Florida. Today's reading is Psalm 7 through 9 and Acts 18, but we'll focus only on the New Testament in this podcast. If you have any questions about anything in the Old or New Testament reading assignment, please email me at mattellis1997 at gmail.com. I may answer it on the next podcast. Acts 18. This chapter begins with Paul taking a trip to a city he'd never been to before. We're told in verse 1 that he traveled about 50 miles west of Athens to the large worldly port city of Corinth. In verse 2, we're told that Paul met a man named Aquila and his wife Priscilla in Corinth. And this very special ministry Christian couple played an important role in the story of the early church. Uh, they're going to help Paul uh, and encourage him, and they would soon help an eloquent Christian speaker named Apollos. And we're going to read about that before the chapter is out. We're also told in verse 2 that Aquila and Priscilla had recently left Rome because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. So the emperor Claudius had ordered all of the Jews to get out of Rome. Why? Well, when we look outside of Scripture to a biographer, a writer named Suetonius, who lived in roughly 69 AD, it looks like maybe AD 69 until 140 AD, We see that there was a reason why Claudius chased all of the Jews out of Rome. He actually records it in a book. He's a biographer. Remember, Suetonius, a biographer. He wrote a book called The Life of Claudius. He wrote a book about the emperor. And in chapter 25, verse 4, he says this. He says, he, the emperor, Claudius, he banished from Rome all the Jews. Oh, so that's talking about what we just read in Acts chapter 18, verse 2, where they left Rome because Claudius had ordered all the Jews out of Rome. But but in this biography, we read the reason why. He banished from Rome all the Jews who were continually making disturbances at the instigation of one Crestus. So... He got rid of the Jews out of Rome. Why? Because they were continually just causing disturbances and riots and all of these other things at the instigation of one Crestus. So who's Crestus? Well, many scholars believe, and I think the argument is very compelling, that Crestus is the slight misspelling of someone who was not a Christian and Christianity was just making its way into the culture and so he would have not been that familiar with it, but it could be that he misspelt Christos. You know, the word that he used is Christus, but the word Christos means Christ. It's the word that Paul used as a title for Jesus. In fact, it's the New Testament equal to the Old Testament word Messiah. Christ means Jesus is the long-awaited anointed one. He's the Messiah. And so it's quite possible that Suetonius is telling us that what happened was Claudius, the emperor, got rid of all of the Jews. Why? Because they were constantly in an uproar. Why? Because of somebody named Crestus. 
Could it be that the gospel was spreading in Rome, the gospel of Jesus Christos, and that Jews continued to riot in order to stop the gospel's proclamation? After all, we've been reading in the book of Acts where they did that in just about every other city. It certainly is a compelling argument that that's what was happening in Rome, that the gospel was penetrating the very heart of the Roman Empire. This just reminds us that not all people who want heaven want Jesus. Yes, the gospel is powerful unto salvation. There will be those that get saved. It can make its way into the most impenetrable of places and change hearts, as in the city of Rome. And yet, the gospel can also be rejected by those who claim that they want heaven. And here's the principle. Not everyone who wants heaven wants Jesus. Did you get that? Not all people who want heaven also want Jesus. The Jews were convinced that their good works would get them into heaven. They just didn't want to serve Jesus. Every time Christos was mentioned, they would riot. They didn't want Jesus. They just wanted heaven. But since they rejected Jesus, they also forfeited heaven. Well, in verse 3, we realize that Aquila and Priscilla were in the same line of work as the Apostle Paul. Uh, they were all tent makers. And it would seem that coming to the major port city of Corinth, as they were forced out of Rome and they made their way to Greece, to, to the city, the port city of Corinth, that Aquila and his wife Priscilla uh, would be able to peddle their wares to the world. Corinth was a major port city, a, a city where ships were coming and going from all over the known world at that time. In fact, by the end of this chapter, they're going to move from Corinth over to Ephesus, which was another port city. Well, in verse 4, we read that Paul continued to reason with the Jews. Uh, even though they were causing such an uproar, he just, his heart was for the Jews. And he used their scriptures, the Old, what we call the Old Testament, to point to Jesus. But many of them refused to see Jesus in their Bibles. Even today, even today in 2022, even today, Israel is one of the most secular nations in the world. It may be the most secular nation in the whole world. They will not let you come to Israel if you are coming as a Christian missionary. If you're coming and saying, hey, I want to move to Israel, I want to share the message of the gospel, they will not let you come. And so what people are doing is they are going with the Christian message, but they're going over with, uh, with skills that they can use and work, you know, things that they can do to benefit the people of Israel. Um, and then as they do their job, then they're also sharing the gospel uh, while they're over there. But if those people are found out, almost certainly they're going to get deported. Uh, when Kim and I visited Israel quite a few years back, it seemed that Christians are only allowed into Israel if they are tourists on short-term trips. And that's so hard to believe. But when we look at the numbers, uh, we realize that only 2% of Israel's population are Christians. Uh, in other words, the Jews are still unwilling to embrace their Messiah. They did it back in the first century, and they're still doing that. They're not willing to embrace Jesus as the Messiah yet. But we're going to, uh, we're told in Scripture that uh, one day that they will come back, and we read about that in the book of Romans as, we get in, as we're going to get into the next book. But that's the topic uh, that we'll get to when we get there. Let's get back to Acts 18. In verse 5, 
uh, we're told that uh, Paul devoted himself to preaching the word when Silas and Timothy showed up. It said that he devoted himself to preaching. What was he doing when Silas and Timothy were not there? Was he playing video games? You know, what, what was he doing? I think what was going on is that whenever they were not there, uh, you know, he, he had to take care of himself. And, you know, he did he wasn't Mr. Moneybags. And so he was making tents and he was selling tents just so that he could have enough money for food and lodging and, you know, things like that that he needed. And then he would share the gospel. But when they came, I suspect that they probably showed up with a financial offering from the churches in Macedonia, maybe from Philippi, maybe from Thessalonica. They brought gifts uh, to him, maybe from Athens. And so they brought, I, I suspect, a financial offering. Then all of a sudden, he was able to put tent making to the side, and he devoted himself solely to getting the gospel out. Um, so then we come to a very important verse in the book of Acts. Uh, it's Acts chapter 18, verse 6. When they resisted the Jews, when they resisted and blasphemed, he, Paul, shook out his clothes and told them, your blood is on your own heads. I'm innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Well, sounds like deja vu, right? <laughs> I mean, a few chapters earlier in Acts chapter 13, verse 46, Paul said that he was going to go to the Gentiles. And here he is in chapter 18 saying the same thing. Yet he had continued to plead with the Jews, even after Acts 13, 46. He still pleaded with the Jews. He still went into the synagogue and told them about Jesus. But there comes a time when enough is enough. And in this verse, Paul wiped his hands clean. He shook the dust off his sandals. He wasn't going to waste any more time with the Jews. He was no longer going to, quote, cast his pearls before swine, something so precious as the gospel. He wasn't going to give it to those who could not appreciate it, who could not value it, who would not receive it. But as we'll notice this doesn't mean that he completely abandoned the Jews. He would still continue to visit synagogues and try to persuade the Jews to trust in Jesus. It seems that his words in Acts 13 verse 46 and Acts chapter 18 verse 6, while he did focus more on the Gentiles, he never gave up on the Jews. It seems that those words were emotional as he was just exasperated with them and just wanted to shock them into realizing that he was rejecting them and moving on. But one of the things that Paul did is he continued to strive to reach the Jews. He spent more time with the Gentiles, but he spent time trying to reach the Jews. He never gave up on them. In verses 7 and 8, we read that uh, Paul left the synagogue and went to a Gentile's house next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, trusted in Jesus along with all of his family, and many people in Corinth also trusted in Jesus and were baptized. Well, in verses 9 and 10, the Lord gave assurances to Paul that he would not be abused in Corinth. You know, Paul's already been beaten, he's already been jailed, he's already been stoned and left for dead. He's, he's had a lot of things happen, and so the Lord gave him assurances in a vision and said that he would not be abused in Corinth. He needed to simply speak the truth boldly, get the gospel out. God says they will not harm you. 
The fact that the Lord told him, don't be afraid, lets us know that Paul was like us and probably was fearful of what could happen, but now he had an assurance from the Lord. So with a heart for the people and a love for the gospel and the Lord, verse 11 tells us that Paul stayed in Corinth for 18 months, a year and a half, teaching the word of God among them. And there's a life principle to be found here. There will be times when God gives us assurances. Uh, we will sense that he's given us some precious promises, but then life will begin to unravel, and it'll seem that God's word isn't going to hold fast. And that's when faith comes in. We choose to trust the Lord regardless of what we see around us. So the Lord had promised Paul that he would be safe in Corinth, but then we read verses 12 and 13. Listen to this. While Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack against Paul and brought him to the tribunal or brought him to the bema seat. This man, they said, is persuading people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. And so what I said a while ago, what I pointed out is God had given Paul assurances that he would not be abused, but now it looks like he's about to be abused. And so Paul had to trust in the Lord, even as this was going on. But the Jews brought him before the Bema seat, brought him before uh, a, a Roman, uh, uh, the Roman tribunal, and claimed that he was persuading people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. So... Um, they were leading a united attack against Paul and brought him before the tribunal, accusing him of leading people to worship God in unscriptural ways. Um, God's promise would hold true, but Paul would have to have had reason to ask the Holy Spirit to give him the ability to continue to believe in the Lord's words as the storm clouds were gathering around him. This is just a life lesson for us. When the Lord speaks to us and he gives us a precious promise from his word, Sometimes life makes it seem like he's not going to hold true to it, and that makes us hold on even tighter. So what's going on in these verses? Let's get to that. What's going on in these verses? The, the Romans said, you know, hey, he, they're, they're, I mean, actually the Jews go before Roman and said, he's persuading people to worship God and waits contrary to the law. What does Rome care? <laughs> what does Rome care about Jews' law? Well, the Romans weren't tolerant of new religions cropping up within their empire. They had a select number of religions that they were tolerating, and Judaism was an accepted religion within the Roman Empire. It was, it was one that they acknowledged is a presence, and so we will allow it. But the Jews sought to prove that Christianity was a new cult and should not be tolerated. That's why they're going before Rome. That's why they're going before Galileo. They wanted him to acknowledge that Christianity, this message of the gospel of Christ, is some cult, and Rome needed to shut it down. And so Galileo was being petitioned to make that decision. Yet in verses 14 through 16, as Paul was opening his mouth to give a defense, Galileo immediately called the meeting to adjournment. He refused to rule in this case. So refusing to rule against Christianity was actually a ruling in favor of Christianity. Galileo had refused to call Christianity a cult and to demand that it not be practiced in the Roman Empire. 
And as you can imagine, the Jews went ballistic when they didn't get what they wanted. In verse 17, we read that they seized the synagogue leader. He's a Jew. The Jews got the synagogue leader, a Jew, and beat him. Why would they beat one of their own? Well, probably, probably because he was the one to bring the case against Paul before Galileo, and he had lost his case, and so they were beating him. But even as they beat Sosthenes, this synagogue leader, in front of Galileo, the Roman proconsul, Galileo, he didn't care. So Sosthenes just got a beaten, and nobody came to his rescue. What was Paul to do? He has the promise of God that the people will not hurt him. He saw that the Roman proconsul had essentially ruled in his favor by not rendering a ruling against him. Paul must have thought, keep calm and carry on. <laughs> We're told in verse 18 that he stayed in Corinth. He stayed there for some undesignated time, probably preaching and teaching some more before finally leaving. He wouldn't be run out of town. He wasn't going to run out of town like on previous occasions. In verse 18, we read that Paul finally said goodbye and made his way by boat to Syria with Aquila and Priscilla. They're joining him on this. Maybe Silas and Timothy are too. Uh, one of the things we know is that Timothy uh, ended up being the pastor at the church at Ephesus eventually. And so it's possible that Timothy and Silas went with uh, Paul on this journey with Aquila and Priscilla. We also read in verse 18 that before they sailed to Syria, uh, back to ascending church in Antioch, you know, north of Jerusalem, before they got went back there, Paul got a haircut at a city next to Corinth called Sincrea. It says that he had his hair cut. Uh, Paul had previously made a vow to the Lord. We aren't told where he made the vow. We aren't told when he made the vow. We aren't told why he made the vow. We just know that he made a vow. And as he was under the obligation of that vow, he could not cut his hair. So Paul had hair that had grown. But he had apparently fulfilled his vow. So he got a haircut before getting on the ship. In verses 19 and 20, uh, they were still on their way to Syria, but their boat docked in Ephesus. Uh, Paul continued to try to persuade the Jews. We see once again, he's reaching out to the Jews to follow Jesus, even though he had expressed a desire to leave them alone on two previous occasions. Paul was asked to stay at Ephesus, but he refused. He essentially said, I'll be back if God allows me to. And this is another lesson. Just because there's a need doesn't mean God's telling us to meet that need. And another lesson is just because someone else tells us what they think we should do doesn't mean that that's what we believe that we should do as we're being led by the Lord. Be sensitive to the needs of others. Be sensitive to others' requests. But don't let others rule your life because there are some people in this life that would love to tell you what to do. So they were asking him, please stay at Ephesus. But he said, I will be back. I'm leaving. I will be back if God allows me to. So Paul is in charge as he's submitting to the authority of Jesus over his life. But based on what we read in the rest of the chapter, it appears that Aquila and Priscilla stayed behind in Ephesus. Paul would leave, but it looks like Priscilla and Aquila stayed in Ephesus because they're going to meet up with Apollos in Ephesus in just a little bit. 
Well, in verse 22, we read that uh, his boat, Paul's boat, landed at Caesarea Maritima. We've read about that city previously in the book of Acts. He traveled from there southeast to uh, Jerusalem to spend time with the church, and then he traveled north to be with his dear Christian friends in Antioch. Uh, And in verse 23, we observe that Paul traveled back through what we presently call Turkey after spending time in Antioch, strengthening all the disciples. So he went back to some of the churches. Again, this is now the third time he has been with some of those churches. He was encouraging them and unpacking God's word for them to understand and apply. Listen to verse 24. Now a Jew named Apollos a native Alexandrian, an eloquent man who was competent in the use of the scriptures, arrived in Ephesus. So this appears to have taken place while Paul was traveling through present-day Turkey. You know, While he's over there visiting with Antioch and then goes through the cities that he'd already been to before on the first and second missionary journey, it appears that while Paul was doing that, that Apollos arrived in Ephesus. And... Uh, Paul was uh, there, you know, working with the churches, and Apollos arrived. It says that Apollos was from Alexandria. Alexandria is a city in northern Africa. And uh, he, uh, according to this verse, was very capable when it came to speaking. It says he was eloquent, and he knew the Old Testament scriptures very well. Listen to Acts 18, verse 25. It says, He had been instructed in the way of the Lord... And being fervent in spirit, that means he's just on fire. He was speaking and teaching accurately about Jesus, although he knew only John's baptism. So Apollos' message about Jesus was accurate, but it was not complete. What he was saying was true, but he didn't have all of the truth about Jesus. He was an Old Testament preacher. He knew the Old Testament. He didn't have the newer revelation that had been given to the apostles and to the apostle Paul. He was an Old Testament. Apollos was an Old Testament preacher, so there was much that he did not understand. And for an eloquent preacher who can easily gather a crowd to misunderstand truths about Jesus is serious. Why? Because many people will listen and accept it even though it's not the complete truth. And so it may be untrue, or they'll come to untrue conclusions. So in verse 25, it says that uh, he knew only John's baptism. What does that mean? Well, that meant that he was aware of a baptism of repentance, which was John the baptizer's uh, baptism. It was the baptism of repentance. That's all. Just turn from your sin. Apollos called people to repentance. He knew John's baptism, yet he didn't know the New Testament baptism. And what was the difference there? Well, New Testament baptism, was it, it illustrated repentance and identification with Jesus. John the baptizer's baptism was only repentance. Turn from your sin. But the baptism of the New Testament was repentance but also identification with Jesus. And so Apollos didn't know this. All he knew was he's calling people to repentance, but as far as turning to Jesus, it lacked clarity there. He needed to be corrected. But who could correct him? You know, who who could talk to him and how would they talk to him? I tell you, I've been, uh, you know, with uh, people before and trying to correct them, and there are many that do not want to listen. And I'm telling you, there are ways that I have... Uh, 
unintentionally, many times unintentionally gone to try to correct people. And because of how I did it, I undermined uh, the ability uh, of them to receive the correction well. So let's look at how Aquila and Priscilla corrected him. Listen to Acts chapter 18, verse 26. He, Apollos, began to speak boldly in the synagogue. After Priscilla and Aquila heard him, so they sat in on a sermon, and they're probably looking at each other thinking, ooh boy, he's got some things he needs to, he needs to kind of fine-tune a little bit because he does, he's not really really understanding some of the New Testament truths, the New Covenant truths. After Aquila and Priscilla heard him, it says this in verse 26, they took him aside and explained the way of God to him more accurately. They took him aside and explained the way of God to him more accurately. So Apollos was bold but he had a few things wrong, so Aquila and Priscilla didn't respect, disrespect him. They didn't confront him publicly. Instead, they took him probably to their home and corrected him privately and probably humbly. And it went well. He took the, he took the correction because of how they did it. It's not just what we say, it's how we say it. I've noticed that some people get bold when they have a crowd. They don't have enough courage to speak to someone privately, so they'll wait until a crowd is gathered, and then they'll grill and humiliate the one that they have a grievous against. If we think back to the Gospels and how the Pharisees interacted with Jesus, we see the same thing. Only one of the Pharisees respected Jesus enough to visit with him in private at night and asking him questions, and carefully listening to Jesus' answers. His name was Nicodemus, and we have a story in John 3. He did it right. But the rest of the Pharisees waited until Jesus was in front of a crowd, and then they tried to corner him with their questions and comments. They wanted to nail him. They waited for a crowd. Don't be like the Pharisees when you see someone who doesn't seem to have things together. Instead, be like Nicodemus. Be like Aquila and Priscilla. Respect others enough to speak with them privately. The odds go way up that the other person will respond more positively if we, if we speak to them privately and humbly. Well, in verse 27, we read that Apollos wanted to cross the Aegean Sea to where Athens and Corinth were located. Uh, the believers in Ephesus wrote to the believers in Achaia to welcome him. They said, hey, welcome this guy, Apollos. He's a great guy, and he knows the word, and he's eloquent in, in how he speaks. He's going to really bless you all. So he was incredibly helpful, we read, to the believers there, uh, particularly in what he said. And this chapter ends with a verse that tells us that Apollos was engaged in the same activity as the Apostle Paul. Verse 28, For he vigorously refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating through the Scriptures that Jesus is the Messiah. Friends, let's be like that. Let's study the Scriptures so that we can share its wonderful truths about Jesus with others. There's far too many Christians with air quotes who don't study their Bibles. They couldn't defend their faith. They've got convictions, but they couldn't prove those convictions. And in fact, there are many convictions that Christians have that are not biblical. They're not biblical. Don't be like that. Study your Bibles. Study your Bibles. Dig into God's Word. 
the more you read it, the more God's Holy Spirit is going to connect truths and things are going to start to click and you're going to start to get in your mind a, where the Word of God is coming together like a beautiful spider's web where everything is beginning to fit together beautifully. And as you read God's Word, you'll realize that there's so much more always to learn, but you're going to see how it all fits together beautifully. And as you get that proficient with it, the Holy Spirit will enable you, will be able to enable you to speak persuasively to others. If they ask you questions, if your kids or grandkids or a co-worker ask you a tough question, or maybe if there's something going on in society and, and a neighbor asks you, what's the Christian worldview on that? How do y'all think about this? Then you don't just come back with convictions that you've made up. You're able to speak the truth, the truth. And even more importantly about than, than speaking the truth about cultural matters, to be able to speak the truth about who Jesus is. That's what Apollos did, for he vigorously refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating through the scriptures that Jesus is the Messiah. Let's be people of the word. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you once again for your wonderful word. You've given to us the completed word of God that contains the entirety of your revelation. Apollos only had the Old Testament and he needed to be corrected, but we have the old and new, so we have no excuse for messing things up. And on top of that, we have the Holy Spirit, the one who wrote it resides inside of us and wants to reveal his truth to us. Holy Spirit, please enlighten our minds to understand what we read in your word. Help us also to properly interpret it and then know how to apply it. And then help us humbly but boldly to speak with others who are in error. There's so much untruth being panhandled as Christianity these days, even in our own churches. Help us to know your word enough so that we can accurately speak truth into error. We don't want to be arrogant. We don't want to be Pharisees. We do want to be humbled by the fact that we're just sinners saved by grace, former sinners who have been saved by your grace. But we are growing in your word, and we love your word, and we love you, and we know that your word is best, is good for us. And so we know your word, and we speak your word into the culture, into our churches, into our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope today's episode has helped you to understand and enjoy God's Word so that you can apply it in the power of the Holy Spirit. If looking over the script for this podcast would be beneficial to you, hop on over to my website at mattsmusings.net. I'll provide a link in this episode's show notes. The Enjoying the Bible podcast is a ministry of the First Baptist Church in Polk City, Florida. Check us out at fbcpolkcity.com. See you next time.